Welcome to From the Booth, the weekly podcast sponsored by BYU's International Cinema Program. I'm Chip Oscarson, one of the directors of International Cinema. This is our Week in Review episode in which we discuss the films that have just played at International Cinema. I'm joined here in the booth by IC Assistant Director Mariadar Oscarson. As always, good to have you here. Nice to see you. Today we're going to be discussing the films that showed between the 11th and the 14th of March. And we had kind of an, a truncated schedule this last week because of the shutdown of campus due to the virus. So I know that not everyone was able to see these films there. Hopefully you're able to find them uh, eventually in other places. Uh, the films that we're going to be discussing this week include Woman at War, an Icelandic film from 2018, Sullivan's Travels by Preston Sturgis from 1941, Oh Brother Where Art Thou by Joel and Ethan Cohen from the year 2000, and then lastly our documentary The Two Faces of a Bamalucky Woman. To discuss Woman at War, uh, Mariador and I are going to do that, and then I'm going to have some special guests joining us to discuss those other films. So Mariador, get us started with Woman at War. What were some of the things that stood out to you? Well, first of all, the fact that the main character is traditionally not like the hero that you see in films. She's a little bit older, and she's, she's a woman. Hakla is a real hero of this film. She, and her sister too, actually, her... Played um, by the same actress, right? Played by the creatively. same actress. You could, mm-hmm. Yeah, very creatively. So some quotes that resonated with me is that they were brought up by a mother who would say, mothers can do anything. And the story is about Hakla, who wants to become a mother and wants to save Mother Earth. So there's a lot of symbolism in this. And as well, the other saying in this film that was very important is, find a solution, which they do. They find a solution. But we have to understand that it is not just a a personal solution and it's not an individual choice that's at stake, but it's the whole world that needs to change as the end shows very well. I mean, we, here we have, we were, we've progressed with her and she's gone through from one very heroic action to another to Ukraine where she's saving this little girl from a life of loneliness in an orphanage and these two characters are walking their way in the water that's getting deeper and deeper and so as a spectator I felt the urgency yeah, you wonder what kind of world the child is going to be inheriting, right? That's right. I like, though, that it complicated a little bit. So she's this kind of guerrilla activist, right, taking down the power lines in Iceland. And, of course, for Iceland, this has a lot of symbolic resonance. Iceland is a, you know, I think most people know, an island in the North Atlantic and fairly isolated and has, a, a relatively speaking, a fairly pristine kind of nature. And it's really become a tourist destination in recent years, which itself is somewhat controversial. The only real heavy industry that Iceland has is a aluminum smelting. And it's a very energy intensive industry to take. They they don't mine the aluminum in Iceland, but they do process it there. And it's because they have such abundant energy resources in the form of hydroelectric and geothermal energy that that's why it makes it interesting to do this in Iceland. But it's controversial for Icelanders because um, it pollutes. There's a significant amount of pollution that, that comes from the smelting. And so when she's taking down these power lines, it's the power lines that are going to these mm-hmm. these these factories where they're processing the the aluminum. And I think that one thing that comes out from this is that you want to root for, right? That you know, that we want to to see the you know the environmentalist cause you know prevail. 
But it also complicates it just a little bit in that there are people's livelihoods that are also dependent on this. And so when she, she puts out her manifesto, in some ways that she's coming into to contact as well, that there's other dimensions to this. And this is at the moment when the movie kind of pivots mm-hmm. towards her realizing that she has an individual obligation to this little girl. And I wonder if that relationship with the, you know, the girl that she's going to become a mother by adopting this girl forces her to see her own actions in a slightly different light. I don't know that she regrets them, that kind of activist, but when you're thinking about it in terms of, a, of your own children, do you act somewhat differently? I don't know. That's a good question. The, the way that, that she uses in her activism is sabotage, and it was driven to us through the portraits that she has in her house, that she's using that kind of like peaceful sabotage, like Mandela, uh, Gandhi have led their, their revolution that same way. So um, it's just... It's a kind of civil disobedience. It's a little bit more destructive maybe yeah. than... <laughs> but it's true. She's not hurting anyone directly. She's not hurting right? anyone directly. But it, it does Resistance. show that, you know, being, being a mother all of a sudden, that the focus has changed and she needs to be outside of the prison. Yeah. She needs someone else to stand in her place in, in the personage of her... her, her sister who can do this because very identical twins have the same dna yes and they have that but it's true that there is a a switch so the focus on on our families on our communities and then the world at sake we need the government to be with us and there's a a very symbolic thing that happened in um i need help with my icelandic thank you so much the national park where this is the um the traditional parliament that was held since the 900s was held at this place, the Althinki, which is one of the oldest parliaments in Europe. So we have that sin in this beautiful park and very historically charged park. And that's when the government is finding out about her declaration that she sent from, from the roofs. And we discuss a method to kind of stop her and control her. And you see, this is a woman speaking and reading her letter, but as well, it's a woman from the government guiding the conversation and very in the ring. And it's, I think that the film drew very powerfully the, the power of institutions, of governments. As they stood in the ring, there's a lot of power in that uh, decision-making mm-hmm. that can impact the future for good or for bad. Yeah. So we see a model where, where this is like negative in that instance. And then it cuts straight to Hakla, who is with her choir, and she has an announcement, and they're in a circle. And in the circle, she's announcing that she's going to be a mother. And so I think uh, this film was very powerful in bringing those two issues yeah. Uh, to, to the spectator, that it's not only on a family level, but it is. There's a lot of power in staying in that ring and announcing things. But as well, it's it's in the hands of our leaders. Yeah, it's interesting. And so the leaders choose the direction they go is to spin it, right? To control the narrative, not so much to suppress it, but to control it, right? And they start spinning it out in all these other ways. And you're right, that's a, a really nice kind of contrast. So one of the things that really marks this film, too, is the, uh, is the music. Ah, yes. Right? That there's that's... this constant... Um, it plays with us in that we think music that's non-diegetic, we think it's a soundtrack, suddenly shows itself to be diegetic, right? And that the musicians show, you know, as the camera pans, it'll show that they're actually in a corner of the room. And it's their gaze that are, I mean, the singers and the musicians, they are so, like, they're us, basically. They, They don't, they do belong to the story, but 
they don't because they stand in this very... Um, in a liminal space, right, in between. Yes, definitely. And they look at us as well. They, they question us, you know, in their, in their music and their singing. The musicians at some point, they tweet, they retweet her declaration. <laughs> that's right. And that's funny. I mean, it brings a lot of, of laughter as well. But the music, is it some kind of classic Aristotelian kind of model to it? Like, the or chorus, the you know, chorus. kind of speaking to us, yeah. But, but, but it's as well her inner space because if you remember she comes home at some point after her first expedition that we see on screen and then she goes through her mail and she discovers that she has been picked to be the mother of this um, little girl and the music starts when the sound goes off so first there's that water that's boiling and that's what we hear it's a very annoying sound goes blank no more sound and then we have that diegetic music. Yeah. So so when I saw this, I was like, oh my goodness, this is totally her inner space. This is how she experiences. I mean, she's a musician, and this is how her life is unrolling yeah. in front of her through music. Yeah, it's interesting. And and so this draws us our attention to one particular character that's there in some ways for, for comedic effect, perhaps, but the one character aside from Hakla who acknowledges the musicians, and that's the yeah. foreign tourist, mm-hmm. right, from some Spanish-speaking country who keeps getting arrested kind of in her place, mm-hmm. right? And, I mean, it's comedic in that it's making this commentary on that we always suspect the foreigner, right? It must be the <laughs> foreigner that's doing it. And there's this scene where he's let out of jail for the first time, and the last thing the policeman says to him is welcome to Iceland. <laughs> and he know. said, what kind of welcome is you know, this, and I, right? I think that there's a, a kind of subtle commentary going on here about the way that foreigners are sometimes treated, especially in these communities that see themselves as being ethnically and culturally homogenous. It's so easy to blame the outsider for, you know, for all of the troubles. And so I think that he kind of stands in, but he's also one of these liminal characters that you're talking about and that he acknowledges us and he acknowledges the band, right? That we kind of are, are drawn, you know, into this. I mean, we're the foreigners in this situation that they kind of realize that, that, you know, we enter into that space. And I like how you read the, the band as being, you know, kind of like the chorus and making commentary on, on what we see going on. I think that another dimension to this is it fits really well with an Icelandic cultural tradition, and that is kind of magical realism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we typically associate that with Central and South America, Latin America, as a literary movement, but Iceland has its own version of it. And, and the way that it plays out is where otherwise you have a very realist kind of depiction of something, but then you get this intrusion of the, I mean, it's usually the supernatural. You go back to the sagas and there's all kinds of examples of, you know, where they'll be going and the sagas are very realistic. They're very everyday sorts of things going on, but then a ghost will show up and it's taken as just an everyday part of, you know, part of life. And the way that it plays with our sense of reality, I think is, uh, is very much in this vein. And we can think as well about the, the little people in Iceland. Oh, the hidden people, yeah. The hidden people, yes. And if, if, if we see the... Which is this tradition of that there are these people that surround us that only some people can see, right? It's folklore. One of the scenes when she knows she's going to be arrested, she's back coming back from the airport, she just vomited and she's just, you know, so sick physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of emotions going on. And she takes the picture of the little girl and she puts it under the moss. Can you think of a most um, protected environment for a person, yeah. that moss that is so soft that she lays on it yeah, several times. There's all these times. scenes with her laying it, like, like connecting just, herself to it's it. It's yeah. just like this bed and so so giving it back to nature and, and finding a solution with nature as well. And she thinks that she's going to have to give it up 
and then she's able to just carry on and and go find this little girl. So that was as well a very beautiful message. Yeah. Let me come back to something you mentioned earlier that I think is a significant point, and that is the fact that it focuses on women, right? So this is woman at war as opposed to man at war. Mm-hmm. Uh, man at war, I, th- I mean, I think that... <laughs> In some ways, we kind of recognize that that sort of trope. We have lots of examples of men at war. And how is it different that it's a woman and that it's not only one woman, but it's two women? And it's about, you know, two women becoming mothers to a girl, right? Mm-hmm. That this is a very matriarchal, you know, sort of thing as opposed to a patriarchal one. Well, at, at some point, Hakla says, we are the last generation that can stop the war against the earth. So there's this urgency and this realization of it. So the importance that there are women in this film, I mean, goes back to what they were saying to each other. Mothers can do anything. Yeah. And then the find a solution, we're, we're just going, it's a... It's, it's a different kind of war. It's a peaceful one. The models are men with Mandela and, and Gandhi. You know, yeah. we can, I can see them as those peaceful revolutionary. It's not a war that's going to be won with weapons. It's, we're going to have to be creative and find a new way. And yeah. this new way, m- women might be able to, to think it. Yeah. Well, let's now turn our attention to the documentary for the week, because I think it's thematically linked to what we've been talking about. The documentary was The Two Faces of the Bamaleki Woman by a Cameroonian filmmaker, Rosine Mbakam. She left Cameroon at age 27 uh, to live in Belgium, and she's coming back to film her mother, particularly, and the women of her life uh, back in Cameroon. I thought that this was an interesting film, in part because of the way that she's coming back with a camera in hand, that she makes a point uh, early in the in the film that before she left, I mean, that w- well, one, when she left, she was young, and in coming back, that since that time, she's learned how to film. And mm-hmm. so she's coming back with another kind of sensibility, but it's, it's kind of the problem of the exile, right? Once you leave home, you can never see it quite with the same eyes again, but I think she uses it to her advantage here. Absolutely, and she's changed, right? In those seven years, first of all, she has a degree. She married a European. She has a son. She's mm-hmm. coming back with her son, and she's coming back to a place. I mean, if you remember how the film starts, and she's plunging into this darkness of Africa. Yeah, for me, there was a kind of a negative association with this idea of, you know, oh, why did you choose that metaphor? It's such a loaded, you know, term with with Africa, right? That it's the heart of darkness and it's, you know, somehow backward. But she turns that around, I guess. Oh, absolutely. And maybe we can see the movement of negritude in, in her filmmaking in that in that opening of yeah, her Yeah, maybe you film. should explain that because not all of our listeners will be familiar with so, negritude, um, probably. Negritude, um, this military art movement that was um, started by African intellectuals. And, um, kind of back in the 60s with independence and all of that, right? That's exactly. Kind of when it got its start. Yes, and against colonialism, finding your voice in the, as a diasporic being and a diasporic experience as well. She's doing that, this home going and finding belonging. After an experience that was really hard for her, if you remember, she was promised to be married and she stood up against the tradition yeah. of arranged marriages and left and left for education, freedom, and another life. Mm -hmm. So here she's coming back with her camera, and she's filming that darkness. But in that darkness, she sees light. And it's interesting because she's still going on that road in the car, and it's still dark. But she finds light. And so what kind of light is she finding? 
Yeah, she talks about that, you know, that in this kind of intense darkness, a darkness that Europeans don't understand because our cities are so lit, right? Always and, lit. But that she's attracted by these these points of light, right, mm. and kind of drawn to them. Her mother particularly, and her mother is shown, I think, that she sees her mother, maybe both because she's in exile coming home, but as well because she now has her own child. She sees her mother quite differently than before. This is the two faces, mm. I think. And so she's constantly exploring, you know, these other dimensions of what being a woman, I guess, means in Cameroon from a perspective that, that she couldn't understand as a child. And as well, the community of women that she belongs. It's and that very she, much a collective. She, she came from, absolutely. And how these women are so helpful to each other. They even have... And so like, independent, right? I mean, it's... But, well, they really make each other independent, yeah. right? Their their strength is, is this togetherness. And does she have that in Belgium? I don't know. Because, yeah. you know, the, the West is, is very different. But, uh, is there that kind of close-knit community? That's right. You mentioned this uh, this question of nepetude, and there's a, a really important part of this film, I think, is when the mother and, is it an aunt or a friend, I can't remember who it is exactly, are sitting and they're watching a film, right? Yes, and, and what film? Yeah, and what film, right? That the film that they're they're watching is La Noire de, which is usually translated as Black Girl, from 1966 by Usman Sembeni. Uh, this is a really famous Senegalese film. What's your reading of why why this particular film, do you think? I think it's fun watching their reaction because it's different than what my reaction would be. So the story is about this, this young woman who lives her na native Senegal for a dreamed life in France with Where, excuse me, she's hired by this French couple to be a nanny for their child. But the job turns out to be a, one of exploitation, mm -hmm. where she loses her identity and she becomes a slave. So, of course, it's a, it, there's a message, a very strong message. Well, and she has to find her voice, right? That and, this is the whole, you know. Well, the, and she dies. She commits yeah. suicide. There's absolutely no hope yeah. in this space for her. So this, this message against colonialism and exploitation is very strong. So why watching this film? Her, her story is quite different. It is. Well, it's like the inverse in a lot of ways, right? Yes. So that she's coming back, she's coming back home in a way that the, the main character in the film never could. But, but they have similar, a similar trajectory, you know, in essence, that she's empowered in a way that that, that woman wasn't. And one of the things that's empowering her is precisely the film camera, right? That mm -hmm. she's able to film and she's on both sides of the camera, right? Mm -hmm. That she's, you, see, you hear her asking the questions from off camera. It's a very still and a static camera in a, lot of, in a lot of ways. But then sometimes she'll actually move in front of the camera and be with her mother, um, which I think is kind of an interesting technique. And about traditions as well, she embraces them again. She had a baby and she comes back home and the mother is doing the traditional rituals to uh, cleanse her mm -hmm. years after the fact yeah. and so she's embracing those traditions again having lived those seven years in Belgium but still being able to see the the strength of her original like country Africa yeah well thanks Marita this is a this is some really great insights into both of these films thank you